welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. Thank you for joining me. I can't tell you how good it is to be back for a second season. I'm Liv Nixon, and in addition to my role as a podcast host and mother of four children, I'm a certified Salesforce admin, specialising in optimising CRM systems for seamless data-driven insights. Today, I'm talking to Charlotte Moraine, Director for Strategic Planning and Operations at Amgen. Charlotte joined Amgen as Head of Corporate Affairs for the UK and Ireland six years ago, but her reputation for humility, capability and a genuine thirst for knowledge were instrumental in seeing her quickly elevate her career, and she was promoted to a global role this time last year. We covered a lot in our chat. Charlotte delves into the concept of success, the role of integrity in the workplace and her future goals, including the balance between her career and a desire to start a family. So much powerful stuff to get into. So let's get going. Good morning, Charlotte. Welcome to This Girl Come. Good morning, Liv. Thank you for having me. Ah, oh, you're very welcome. It's really good to see you. So let's get into this, Charlotte. You tell me a little bit about yourself and your career to date in a nutshell. Yeah, sure. Okay. So Charlotte Marine, I um, currently work at Amgen as Director for Strategic Planning and Operations in our global customer capability organization, which is a bit of a mouthful. Effectively, that means I work in the organization that helps to build the capabilities across our commercial function um, that will help us engage with customers better. Some of those are digital, some of those are sales and, and field focused. Um, and my particular role is to almost act like a chief of staff to the VP who runs that group. I'm a bit of a right-hand woman, but also um, I spend a lot of my time making sure that our leadership team is really well set up to be a high-performing one, be that through the way that we shape our culture or the way that we're organized, the processes that we use to plan and horizon scan and set strategy. And uh, also the layer below that leadership team, you've got a group of directors who are all responsible for very specific technical verticals underneath our group. So really amazing subject matter experts, but someone needs to get their arms around them and make sure that everyone's driving towards the same customer engagement vision. And so I will partner with, with my boss to do that as well. So it's, it's a great um, job to do. I feel very lucky. I, I genuinely feel like I've got one of the best jobs at Amgen. And I've been doing this kind of work for about four years now. So I'm one year in this global role and I was about two or three years in a very similar role, chief of staff capacity, but to the GM of our UK and Ireland affiliate. So similar vantage point, similar partnership with the leadership team, but in different segments of the organization. So I'm seeing life at the 10,000 foot view now in the global group. Um, and I've also seen life at the affiliate level as well. So love this kind of work. Um, and before that, did many, many years in um, communication. So that's my technical background and came into strategic planning and operations or the SPO job, as we would call it at Amgen, in 2020, just as the pandemic hit as well. So that was an interesting time for me. But then before that, did 10 years in brand communications, corporate communication, which was really nice experience to be working with cross-functional brand teams. But again, as an enabler from a comms perspective, rather than right at the heart of it in sales and marketing. So that's the work side of me. Uh, personally, uh, I live in York with uh, my partner, Rob, who is a pilot and um, our little Jack Russell. And we've been in York for about a year now. And we've come up here to be a little bit closer to our extended family. And as someone who was born in London, there is a lot to be said for York. It's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
So tell me a little bit about what motivates you in the work you do now. You spoke really passionately about your role. Um, so tell me more about what it is that excites you on a day-to-day basis. So if I think personally, the thing that motivates me the most actually is to make sure that I'm growing. And one of my old boxes once said something to me, which has stayed with me for a long time, which is that I think he, it was when he was thinking about recruitment and talent development. And he said, Charlotte, you know, I'm, if someone's got 20 years experience, I'm less interested if they had the same year 20 times. And I always try and make sure that I never have the same year twice, that I'm always doing work that will stretch me and that will make me just a little bit uncomfortable because in that discomfort, I know that I'm growing. Um, and I know that that's the place that gets me to the, my best performance, and my, my best work. And so I try to instill that mindset in others. And I think that um, approach to growth is a really healthy one and an exciting one as well. It feels scary when um, the workload gets really heavy um, and it feels like there's just so much to do. So it requires a calm mind, I think, to be able to lean into the stretch elements of growth year on year on year. Yeah. But I think that's the way that you realize your potential. So I definitely say that I'm motivated by growth. But also as I've got older, and particularly since the pandemic, I've often talked a lot about integrity being a core value. And five or 10 years ago, I might have said, yeah, because I really want people to believe that um, what you see is what you get and, and I can always be trusted to deliver. And that's true. And I still hold that quite closely. But I heard Brene Brown actually talk about integrity from a much more holistic sense. And I really love the way she defines it. And she goes back to the Latin root of the word being actually integrare, which means to make whole. And the more I think about integrity and what it means, the more I feel like actually it's about having a sense of wholeness in the workplace. And you hear people say a lot, I bring my whole self to work. And I think that's important. I think actually that's in danger of becoming a little bit of a buzzword, a little buzz phrase. Um, and we mustn't let that happen because to bring my whole self means that I accept that sometimes I'm having a crap day and the stuff going on in my life, um, you know, I'm hormones are flying around, you know, I'm a woman. Um, and sometimes I'm going to be a little bit lower on energy, a little bit lower than hundred percent capacity. And that's okay. And I have to accept that and make adjustments and not try and be some superwoman that is still going to knock out a 10 out of 10 when actually I don't. It's not going to be a 10 out of 10 day today. And again, that version of psychological safety that I really enjoy having around me as an employee. But again, I'm really passionate about creating that environment for others where whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever it is that might be affecting you on that particular day, high performance has to be looked at from a much longer term perspective. And it means you've got to forgive yourself for the days when maybe you, won't, you might only be able to deliver a five. Because there'll be some five days and some seven days and some 12 days, actually, and probably more 12 days than you congratulate yourself for. And when you look back at a quarter or a cycle or a year's worth of work, you'll have seen things that you can be immensely proud of. And that's worth celebrating. And also be proud of the fact that you gave yourself a break for those days when you weren't quite 100%. So that's really important for me as well. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's, it goes back to what you were saying about that growth mindset as well someone yeah. needs to feel that safety in their environment to be able to grow in that way you know, it's okay to feel uncomfortable and overwhelmed if you're in an environment where that's safe yeah definitely no I completely agree okay so that's fascinating so tell me more about how you got to where you are because 
your career, you were quite young to be in a leadership role, weren't you, quite early on? Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more about that and let's talk about the sort of challenges that you've faced up until today. Hmm. Yeah, I guess judging by standards across our industry, you probably would think I was quite young to be on a leadership team. So I'm 37 now. I joined the leadership team in the affiliate in 2019. So I would have been about 33, 34. Um, definitely the baby of the team back then. But I earned the opportunity, I think, because I had worked very hard. I was still in my corporate affairs role at the time. And I joined Amgen originally to lead corporate affairs. And then I moved into to the slow job afterwards. But I was um, given the opportunity because it was seen as strategically important to put corporate affairs on the LT. And uh, the experience has probably been one of those moments where it changed the trajectory of my career. Um, and so I'm incredibly grateful for my boss at the time for taking that decision because it was a change in the affiliate that, that was a surprise to some. Corporate affairs hadn't sat on the LT for, I don't think ever, but for a long time. So it was a strategic shift. And I was a, the, almost, I felt like the new girl on the team on a very experienced team, a very tenured team. Many of those directors had been in their roles for a long time. I felt like I had to really work hard to earn their trust, earn their confidence, um, earn their confidence in my confidence. And what I mean by that is my ability to be exposed to information that is um, for the eyes of the leadership team at that time. And everyone will understand sometimes there's stuff that the LT needs to work through um, that will eventually be communicated later on down the line, but it starts at the LT table. So sure. it's all about secrecy, but it's just about just the way things work. And therefore some information would come across my desk. And because I was younger and because I was new to that group in that context, it took me some time to prove to um, some of that organization that I could be trusted with confidential information, that I could be trusted to consider that team as my first team and therefore to you know, do everything I can to, to serve that group. Um, and also it was quite a tough shift for me to, I guess I had to make sure that my relationships with my peers wasn't going to change either. Because again, when you've, luckily I had a, a friend of mine at Amgen who was also asked to join the LT at the same time. So it wasn't just me. He and I were thought partners and coaches to each other throughout that process. But we also did compare notes on the fact that we had to have some quite transparent chats with some of our colleagues at work and who were colleagues, but were also friends. And yeah. when you're mates with people at work and then suddenly you get invited to a space or to a table that not everyone's invited to, it's very easy for those colleagues to say, oh, she goes, not sure we can be friends in the same way, not sure that they could trust me with information. And it was really important for me to make sure that I maintain those relationships, was very transparent about the fact that, yeah, this might be a little bit awkward for a little while, but nothing needs to change. And if anything, it made me really good at being very transparent in contracting with people. What kind of a conversation do you want to have here? And that's borne fruit now. Now I'm at a, in a global organization, I'm working for a VP. Many times people will ring me up and I have to ask myself, does someone just want to shoot the breeze and does someone just want to moan to me about something or, or get my opinion on something? Or is someone trying to lobby me because they are hoping that I'm going to go and tell my boss about this thing that I've heard that might be a problem that needs fixing? And, and therefore, you have to be really careful, um, but just transparent to say, 
what version of me are you talking to here? Do you just want to chat with a mate? If so, like, let's go. I'm happy to do that. Or are you talking to me as a SPO, as someone on the leadership team? Because you want me to do something with this information. And it became much easier for me to then distinguish between the two. And then I don't have to worry about betraying any confidences or compromising the sort of the, the effectiveness of those relationships as well. There was a learning curve, um, got there in the end. It's a great way to approach it. It's not an uncommon situation where you go from being part of a, a peer group to all of a sudden in a leadership role. And getting that balance right is so difficult. The thing I've said before about learning as well also pulled through there because if I can craft a reputation for myself with someone that comes from enough humility that learning is one of the most important things for me, which it is, yeah. I think it it makes it much easier for people to assume good intentions about um, what I might be trying to achieve. If I go to a meeting or if I assert myself or insert myself into a conversation, they know I don't have some political agenda that I'm genuinely curious. I want to know what's happening at that moment and how can I help to either remove a barrier or unblock something or to broker a conversation so that maybe we can move forwards. And I think that's where sometimes having your values really well known and understood will pay dividends in ways that you don't even anticipate. Because I hear people, I take it as a huge compliment actually, when they refer to my commitment to learning, because it tells me that they understand where I'm coming from. And it's, it's almost always a place of curiosity and, and wanting us to be better. And, and I think that is often quite a non-threatening way to be able to do really positive things in an organization. And have you always taken that approach with making it clear that's your purpose, if you like, that continued development, that continued curiosity? Do you make that clear with everyone that you interact with? How do you go about that? Oh, yeah, it get, it's not the kind of thing where like, it's the first thing you say at every meeting or it's a strange thing to maybe say when you first meet someone for the first time. But it can play out in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you ask questions. Uh, to listen and really listen, to seek to understand. Many times in organizations like ours, you have a lot of people who are just listening for the next opportunity for them to say something, um, especially when you can move into um, more arguably uh, more political parts of the organization, the closer you go to the seat of power. And so, no, I don't need to shove it down people's throats, but if I can try really hard to be thoughtful in my questions, to show that I've listened, to not just barge in and assume that I know what's happening, to seek first to understand and then to be understood, I find that doesn't really serve me wrong. If I can stick to that as an approach and the way that I engage with my colleagues, I usually get a good outcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about success and how you define and have defined success in the past versus how you define it today. Mm, yeah. It's interesting the way you framed it, actually. I think earlier on in my career, I would have said success was ratings at the end of the year. So I happen to, and this, I promise it's not a humble brag, but I work very hard and I have achieved either an exceeds expectations or a far exceeds expectations every year since I joined Amgen. But if you were to ask me today, tell me about how you've been successful. I would never point to the rating that I got at the end of the year. I'd tell you about the projects that I worked on and the 
partnerships that I forged to be able to get really good outcomes for the organization. And I would certainly tell you about the lessons I learned. Rewind five, seven years ago, I would have been much more likely to point to the rating, the, the tick at the end of the year, the external validation. Someone has rubber stamped my year and said, well done, Charlotte, you had a great year as far as I'm concerned. I think I would have really clung on to that someone else's interpretation of how well I'd done. And certainly, I think through a lot of my 20s, I've worked in some PR agencies. And for anyone who's listening or watching who has also come from the agency world, you might know that it's a little bit easier to get promoted. You can kind of cycle through the pay bands pretty quickly. And also, it's the fight for good talent is so fierce as well that they'll just promote you so that they can keep you. So I'm not saying I didn't know them, but I, it almost, I dare I say, I don't think it made me arrogant, but I had a, taste for being promoted, which you get coming through, uh, through agencies, which doesn't exist when you come in house. And the, a less mature version of myself might have had a bit of a bruised ego. If I, why am I not getting promoted every year? You have to give that up very quickly when you come into farm. That's not happening for good reason, actually. Um, and you're much more encouraged to seek growth in the experience, seek growth um, and success in the learning. And so now when I think about success. I think, did I achieve a meaningful outcome? Did I learn something along the way? And can I look back on the experience with a smile? And that might be a wry smile because I'm probably thinking about some of those times where it was tough. And like it, we were, think about when we were going through the pandemic, there were some tough days there. There were some tears there. But do I think we were successful during those times? Absolutely. Because we learned something about each other about the work that we do. And so I think for me, success is much more about being able to face adversity and find a way through it to be able to draw on your resilience, draw on all of the tools. We do a ton of training, resilience and coaching. And actually when, you, when you're really tested it is when that stuff really becomes meaningful. And I don't know if you're going to ask me about how I interpret failure as well, but I'd probably oh, well. tell you something similar. <laughs> I'd say, because I think they're such, they're like sisters. They're such close friends, success and failure. They're made of the same stuff. Um, and I think often the key to taking the sting out of failure is realizing that it's just, that, that just around the corner from success um, and that the, the, the requirement to, to face adversity, to tackle challenges, to find your way to a meaningful outcome, it lives in both places. The only thing that's different is your mindset. And so I actually reflect very infrequently on my failures. Um, and usually if I failed, it's because I didn't take a lesson with me or I let my ego get in the way or I didn't get back up after a knockdown. I just retreated and moved on. You must get back up. So I'm um, even just hearing myself talk now. It um, makes me feel good to be able to talk about success in this way. It's oddly freeing. Because it comes from a much more intrinsic place. It's all about how I feel about it and the value that, that I can draw and to know that other people have experienced that value as well. And much less about some rubber stamp that someone could give me at the end of the year. Because that doesn't matter. Would you do anything differently from your early days in your career to obviously you've grown so much and you've learned so much? Does that mean necessarily that you'd go back and do things differently? Are there any parts of your path that you would change with hindsight? 
No, because everything's led me to today. And particularly if you're asking that question through the lens of how I might have perceived success and chasing promotions and things like that. No, because also I was in my twenties. I was, um, I was a little bit green. I was naive and learning, which is exactly what you should be doing at that stage in your career. So no, I think it's always the right question to ask whenever um, something hasn't gone to plan. You, you look back and say, would I have done something differently? But when it comes to my own growth and maturity, and I'm 37, so in the grand scheme of things, I'm still a baby in this world. I've got plenty of maturing to do. Um, and I'm actually look at that really fondly and really optimistically as well. I know there's nothing that I would want to go back and change. I'm more interested actually about looking forward with the wisest head I can put on my shoulders. So you've led me perfectly into the question that I want to ask you next. What do you think about when you picture your future or even just your short-term and longer-term goals? What do they look like to you? Yeah, I think one of the things I learned about the way that I, I tackled short of work and career in late 20s, early 30s, part of it was from chasing, chasing that external validation was that I probably didn't focus enough on relationships, uh, my personal life, and really being honest with myself about whether or not I wanted to have a family at that time. I really leaned into career, um, and it's only over the last few years, actually, that I've been much more balanced about it. And again, not coming from a place of regret at all, but my life and my success now and moving forward is actually, I think, at least for a certain period, going to be about leaning out of work because it is really important for me to start a family now. I'm talking to a colleague of mine over in the US who is similar age, and we just remarked on how there's a public space or an open conversation about women who are my age, so again, mid to late 30s, who if you ask all the HR experts would probably say that I'm either at or I'm approaching peak value for money that a corporation could get from me. I think I've done the initial maturity part, firing from all cylinders now, great. Like, let's grab Charlotte, squeeze all we can get from her. But professionally, my star is in the ascendant. I could probably grow my career to a steeper trajectory now if I wanted to. But it's so tough to do that, to lean into career. I might be at my most mature now um, professionally. I'm my most able to add like outsized value to the organization. But I really want to start a family. And if I don't do that now, if I continue to lean into career and lean out of my personal life, I could regret that for the rest of my life. And so there's this interesting moment where um, you're sort of, you're realizing your career potential and, and as um, a more experienced leader as well. But the biological clock is pulling me out of the working space and into a space that's much more focused on motherhood. And I, I don't know if I'm just a product of my generation, but I've grappled for a few years now with this sort of Sheryl Sandberg-esque lean-in mantra. And I'm going give, to get, give myself backache if I keep leaning in and leaning out. It's not, I don't think it's about necessarily only leaning in to, in order to have a really fruitful and fulfilling, meaningful career. And if it is a binary choice, then I know that soon my choice will be to lean out so that I can make space for family. But um, I'm interested in reinterpreting what it means to have balance, what it means to, and I say in big inverted commas, have it all, whatever that's supposed to mean for a woman. And, and yeah, so I don't know what success is going to mean for me as a parent, 
as a partner to a co-parent as well. Um, this is something obviously my partner and I are wanting to do together. But I don't know. Again, I'm optimistic about the future. Uh, but I think it's important also that I'm honest. I've come onto this podcast to to mainly talk about myself in work capacity. But again, I talked about the idea of integrity and being whole and um, wanting to be successful as a mother and as a parent is also a really important part of, of, of me. And probably when I do go back to work and when the time comes, it's going to make me an even better professional as well. Yeah, 100% it will. But it's, God, we could talk about this on a whole, there could be a whole series of this. And I'm so glad you've touched on it because it's so important. You've obviously, you've put everything you've got into your career. You've reached a point at which, and it is, it's that pinnacle point that there's no escaping it as, as women, that choice. And no matter how much we don't want it to be so binary, it will be very interesting to see as we, as we progress with DEI agendas and that equity mission, how that starts to look for women moving forward. I think it's two things. If I lean on a, a particular example from Amgen, we've got a network, one of our global ERGs, uh, we call it We Too, Women Empowered to Be um, Exceptional. Uh, and it's basically a, a women-only networking group um, and I started as a mentee and um, that I was assigned to a group of, of ladies from all over Europe. Um, and we happened to all be paired up with the lady that's now my current boss. First of all, it's a very specific way that an experience with an ERG has had a direct impact on my career because it gave me exposure to a really inspirational senior leader in a space where I was first and foremost coming to talk to a mentor. So the sort of those mentorship conversations, they can be considered extracurricular. They are nine times out of 10, not really about the day job. And they are about those, the unique pressures or areas of confusion for what it is to be a woman navigating the workplace at varying parts of our lives. Because again, my, I have a huge amount of respect for ladies who are a little bit older than me who are grappling with menopause at, at the workplace as well. I'm actually really proud of Anjan for the spotlight that we've shone on that. But I was able to get the exposure to my boss that gave me the opportunity to, to call her up and say, I've actually just been playing with an idea. Like, can you just tell me if, if I'm just completely asking the wrong question? Just kick the tires on my problem statement. And it happened to be the way that our global organization is partnering with local affiliates and some disconnect and how that interchange is working. And it was enough for her to remember me to, um, to think this isn't a complete picture and there's a ton of stuff that you don't know, Charlotte, that maybe would change your point of view, but your thinking is solid. And it was enough for her to say she might be interesting uh, with some global experience. Six weeks later, she's made a BP and um, she's calling me about applying for a job. So I'm grateful to um, those women-only spaces because it creates, genuinely does create a safe space to be your full self. I was never worried about pressing her because we was just, she was just there as a mentor and, and as a person who I could bounce ideas off. And when you get that safety with a senior leader, it led to me having the confidence to say, can I just run an idea past you? And then that had a direct consequence as well. So I cannot encourage enough um, any women who might happen to have access to female-only ERG spaces to really take advantage of them because they really can bear fruit if they do what they're intended to do, which is to create 
a psychologically safe space to, to work some stuff out and to unlock potential that maybe you didn't know was there. And the more time I spend with her, the more I see how important it is for her to role model. She's incredible. She's got four kids, VP at the organization, big global remit, and she's a really good role model for what it means to have that balance. She has really good boundaries between her sort of work commitments and her family life. And again, if you can see it, you can be it. That's another cheesy catchphrase. I promise I'll never say it again. But I had like I have a direct access to to a really inspirational role model. I can't tell you what a difference that has made to my sense of confidence that what we were just talking about as well, a sense of at the moment probably apprehension about what will become of my career if I step away and focus on the family that I want so badly as well. She's a great example that not only will everything be fine, but you're probably going to be better than you ever were having had children. And it is more than possible to shape a highly successful career with a bunch of kids in tow as well. Um, yeah, I think huge. I owe a lot to the women-only spaces that we have at Amgen. And that's a place where I see uh, the DEI agenda having real value. And I feel like I have access to opportunities from a much more equitable space as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And is that environment and role, you know, that role model position, is that something in yourself that you offer to others? Yeah, I tried to. It's difficult um, to, you have to shed the imposter syndrome with jobs like mine because a SPO, and again, that stands for strategic planning operation, in the sort of chief of staff capacity, I'm, I'm paid to be an enabler. And I talk to my boss a lot about the fact that while I love the job I do, it's still really important for me to have really clear areas of accountability because it's important for me to have something that I can plow my energies into. You know, I have a huge capacity and hunger for really successful output. And therefore, if I don't feel accountable for anything that I'm working on, um, it's difficult for me to do that. And again, when you look across most senior leaders at Amgen, if you're a VP, they usually come with a SPO attached to them because it gives them this sort of enabling force multiplying resource that can make sure that the leadership teams are in really good shape, the organization is in good shape, that the comms is good, et cetera. But I've learned that being a SPO for me is not following my boss around with a clipboard asking like how many sugars does she want in her coffee, that I'm so disinterested in that. I am here to enable, but doesn't mean I have to enable from the shadows or to enable from behind and for a while it, I had to learn that the hard way because I had some other people telling me that you know spos are supposed to be seen and not heard you're there to just make everything run a little bit smoother but you are not the same as the other leaders on this leadership team I am usually the most junior person in any room that I walk into um, which again took some getting used to but I see it as a huge privilege because nine times out of 10, I know I'm going to learn a ton from that experience, but it doesn't come without its challenges because I had to sh shed the imposter syndrome and shed this idea that being a SPO somehow makes me less than, makes me less of a leader because I'm just a SPO. Just is one of the most dangerous words we have, I think, in the English language because it diminishes. I'm not just a SPO. I have a job. I have a job description. It's really clear. And it's often not easy to write down a ton of KPIs for how I've been impactful. But ask the organization, if you ask 
the people that I touch the most frequently, have I made a difference? I hope that they would say I have. And the difference that I make when I have this role that is so much about enabling and accelerating and removing barriers from people is a lot about my personal contribution, my attitude, my ability to help a group talk its way out of a situation. And therefore, I can't help but be really mindful of the impression that I'm leaving with individuals who happen to be more junior in the organization. Because I did say I'm mostly I'm the most junior person in the room, but sometimes I'm not. And when we have more junior members of our team, um, and particularly those whose career I'm taking a particular interest in as well, I do work incredibly hard to be a good coach, a good mentor, and where I can, a good sponsor as well. And I see all three of them as separate, uh, different things. I think they're quite easy to confuse and sort of merge together. But I think coaching is there for anybody to, to impart on anybody else. It's nothing to do with level or experience. I think just to be a good coach, again, is about curiosity and listening and just being that mirror for someone. Try really hard to do that, especially for less experienced colleagues. But also to be a mentor, to share the benefits of my experience and, and the path that I've trodden. And most importantly, because I've benefited so specifically from sponsorship, um, to do that as well. And you can't throw your sponsorship around willy-nilly. You've only got so much to give because it requires you to spend a little bit of your own political capital. You've got to spend some currency on someone else. And therefore, it's you go to the races and you back a horse. You might back every horse and maybe you'll learn a little bit, but the real wins come when you just find the horse that you've got a relationship with that means something to you, that you see something in that perhaps other people don't see. It's a very personal thing, I think, being a sponsor because you have to care. You really got to want to help that person succeed. And I can think of two or three people now that I'm, I will differentiate my time for them. And because I know it's important, I see something incredibly special in them. And therefore, with whatever currency I've got, I want to spend it on opening doors for them and, and helping them to be as successful as they can be. Because what good is power if you just keep it all to yourself? It's not what it's for. Power is there for you to enact on behalf of others and for you to create the best environment and the best outcome for the most people. And the power that I have, I want to try and spend it. I love the way you articulate the difference between a sponsor and a mentor and, and using that currency. That's such a good way of articulating the, the differences between all three, mm. actually. Mm. Um, and so important to do because, again, we referred earlier to how things are becoming a buzzword. Um, and sponsorship is definitely something that's become a buzzword. Um, and very, like you say, so often just mingled in with mentorship. Yeah, but you've articulated that beautifully. I, I might pinch that moving forward. <laughs> I will be referring back to this one, no doubt. You can have it for free. Thank you very much. One of the questions I ask every time I speak to women in the, on this podcast is about the movie Sliding Doors. Yeah. Is that a movie you've seen before? Yep. Very familiar with it. Super. Okay, good. Because sometimes I have... I, I, when I started doing this, I presumed everybody had seen Sliding Doors. It, it turns out they haven't. 
in a while that this is going to turn into like a period drama because um, Sliding Doors is from the 90s and therefore it's a cultural reference that not everyone will get. I had um, one of our interns who um, hadn't seen Love Actually. I had to oh leave my God. So disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen Sliding Doors, but I wouldn't be surprised. You get some Gen Zers on your podcast and they will just look at you blankly. I mm-hmm. know. Oh, exactly. So, yeah, you're right though. I'm probably going to have to try and find something more up to date than Sliding Doors. For the next generation. But let's stick with sliding doors for today. And let's talk about um, if you've had one particular moment in your life that you perceive to be your sliding doors moment. Um, and talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, honestly, I think it would have to be, it's going to sound like such a publicity plug for my company. It's not. I think it was joining Amgen because I joining Amgen actually was nothing to do with Amgen at the beginning. It was about location. I was um, with my partner. We had been together for a while. We met at a comms agency that we had both worked at and um, started seeing each other. And then things got to the extent that we were like, okay, this is serious now. One of us needs to leave. And so he went and took a job with AstraZeneca um, and their global HQ is based up in Cambridge. And I was still in London at the time. And I had to make a decision about whether or not we would stay in London. I was in London, but commuting to Surrey for the job that I was at the time as well, because I had also left the agency. And uh, it was either like try and do a really awful commute or um, to go back and forth and see him or move to Cambridge. And I went for love, followed him to Cambridge, didn't know where I was going to work. I knew that I couldn't commute from Cambridge to Surrey, so I had to leave my job as well. And I went job hunting and Amgen just happened to be hiring. Um, who else is on that campus? Mundi Farmer, I think, are there as well. So I don't know if Mundi had been hiring, maybe I would have gone to work for them. But they weren't and Amgen was. And so I happened to have a really great interview with my um, corporate affairs boss, who is, again, my first second walking in the door at Amgen, I was greeted with a really impassioned female leader. And I thought, yes, I like you. Um, I think I can make a home here. And I've been... So privileged and lucky to, I have never had a bad boss. I've been at Amgen six years and had a few bosses in that time because we know how, how things can work. Sometimes change just happens and every single one of them has been a diamond. And all of that has happened. I've had the most meaningful career experiences at Amgen just because they happened to be hiring when I showed up in Cambridge needing a job. And I, yeah, I'm really grateful that they, that they just needed me when I needed them. And yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah. Okay, it sounds like a perfect match. Talking about what you, know, what you were referring to before about your future and, and having children and balancing that. It sounds like you've done enough. You've done the hard yards and you've found a company that will embrace you developing that side of you at the same time. I think I've come to see Amgen as a place where you genuinely can see it as a safe organization to talk about family planning. And again, I think I've come up through my career in the, in the 2000s and so through my 20s and early 30s, I definitely was experiencing a time where it would have been career limiting to mm-hmm. bring up family planning, to yeah. talk about the desire to want to start a family, to build that into a sort of personal development conversations, end mm-hmm. of year reviews, that kind of thing. And I'm so grateful I don't know whether I just, it was because of the safe environment or I just felt compelled to break free of whatever sort of 
stigma might be holding me back, but I just, I couldn't, it didn't sit right with me that I would hide those, that career aspiration that is so natural and, you know, such a wonderful thing. Why should I have to lie um, about the fact that that's what I want? So I made a choice to perhaps break a taboo, to do what other women weren't and just be really open with my bosses about the fact that in, if, in this next period, I'm going to want to step out and all things being well biologically, you should expect me to be taking some maternity leave at this point. And you know what? Everyone was great about it. Yeah. Because I probably because I felt a sense of security in the the time and the work that I've invested so far. So Anjan knows what they're getting with me. I think they would be happy for me to take that break because it's and it won't be a break. I know that first year of motherhood is challenging. But for me to take that space and to come back, and so I don't worry about it, really. I'm very open with um, career conversation. Thankfully, yeah, there are more and more organizations like yours and more environments that are starting to feel safe. Mm-hmm. But I've had so many conversations on this podcast of just when women were having their children and they didn't really want to talk about it, and it was taboo, or, or women that were feeling like they were expected to want children and were they being held back because they were expecting to want to go off at some yeah. time soon? Those conversations are all too common. And actually, for you just to sit here on this podcast and say, yeah, what's next for me? I want to have children is one of the most powerful things I think I've experienced. And I love it because you're right. It's flipping wonderful. And why shouldn't you? And to not be able to share it for fear of showing them that you're in that stage of your life is crazy, isn't it? It is. But I feel really confident and optimistic that we are moving beyond that fear. I feel hopeful that we're moving beyond that fear. And I think that's where, if you look at the entire DEI agenda, a rising tide will raise all ships. And I hope that as more organizations think much more carefully about the needs of groups or individuals that may not look the way we do or walk in the shoes that we do we could be more thoughtful about how again those needs might be more different to ours then slowly we will unlock and whether you're looking at diversity through the lens of race or gender or disability or ethnicity or you know whatever lens you you want to focus on it all leads to the same place which i think is that where you see improvements in one space, it will force multiply and you will see improvements in others. And again, I've talked to, I've got colleagues in and outside of Amgen who are um, particularly involved in, in DEI. I know you've been involved with Yamsun Bunyamwe in, from MSD and his Black Sherpa podcast as well. And he's a really great example of that. And I, he and I often compare notes about the pace of change and whether sometimes that can agitate us and do we want to be Know, helping our industry to move a little bit faster but you it's a I think it's a balance between keeping the foot on the gas and not settling for complacency but also having the patience and the the ability to see that this is a long game that will you will find pockets of success in some places and you must celebrate them you must shine a light on them because that is how they will grow and flourish and so you could look at Amgen and say well, this is great that you're really focusing on experience for women um, and sort of differentiating your investment and your creating faces for women. Tell me what you're doing about race and disability. Now, that's a really fair question to ask, 
but also don't diminish the impact that you're having, the really real impact that you're having for women, the life-changing impact that you're having. Just because as an organization, we haven't come up with the one, two, three solution for all manifestations of diversity immediately and made perfect progress in all places. Because that is an unrealistic expectation and we will upset ourselves by um, having those unrealistic expectations because no organization is going to be able to meet them. And so it's a difficult one. And while I, I remain optimistic for other people and other individuals who might have their own stories of diversity to be able to same thing, say the same thing as me, that their employer has done something really meaningful to, um, in a differentiated way to enhance their experience and to enhance their opportunities. I hope that everybody would be able to say that at some point. You have to start somewhere and you've really got to celebrate the successes where you do get the win. Yeah, 100%. I feel like we should leave it there. I don't think we can end on anything better. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Charlotte. It's been incredible to listen to you and I've learned so much. So genuinely, thank you. I think this is one episode that I can get past listening to my own voice and just listen to you. I will be going back to listen to this one over and over again. So thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, it's been Really, really fun, great experience for me as well. And I can't wait to dig into more of your episodes as well. I think you've got a great podcast here. So just happy to have been a part of it. Uh, I'm so glad. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of episode one, season two. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying the podcast in general, please do subscribe by the website, thisgirlcam.com or just hit follow on whatever podcast platform you choose. You can now join This Girl Cam as a member. So if you do decide to join, you can look forward to some exciting access-only events coming up in the near future. Watch this space for more announcements there. Look out for my newsletter, which will take you to see this interview in print and go to the website to find out who my guest is next week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now. (laughs) 